Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring advanced approaches to healing. My guest is Dr. Joyce Hawks, a biophysicist. She is the author of Cell Level Healing, The Bridge from Soul to Cell, and also Resonance, Nine Practices for Health and Vitality. Welcome, Joyce. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Now, you're, you've been practicing professionally as a healer for some 36 years. Correct. You have studied with other healers. Some of those mm-hmm. uh, studies took 10 years. You teach people mm-hmm. uh, healing, and uh, you have students who have worked with you for many years. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's fair to say that when somebody such as yourself engages in a healing practice, there's a, a beginning level and maybe an intermediate level and an advanced level. And a learning level that continues. Mm-hmm. It's not stopped mm-hmm. for me, even though... I read everything available, worked with several healers, spent 10 years going back and forth working with one healer only, as was requested in Indonesia and Bali. But I also find that every day in the healing room, or if I'm working by Skype or by phone, I learn something new, and it's been ecstatic. Therefore, the teaching method has not been, okay, here's one, two, three, the way you do it. That's not what the has come for me to teach. But to take people where they are, I've actually instructed physicians, medical doctors, and nurses, and then gotten feedback that as they were in their practice and simply added this additional depth or expansion or knowledge, whatever you want to call it, that they noticed changes and differences and they were excited that this was a new level for them to assist others. Mm-hmm. So there are a few things that I've found that I teach in general, um, and I'll give you a list of those to begin the process. The first one is knowledge of your client. So when I start with someone, uh, I spend an hour and at the very beginning, a bit of a history. And part of that history is the question, what is it that you want? So that we're working exactly with what it is, if it's pain, or if if I've got cancer, fix my cancer, or I'm emotionally upset, I'm depressed, whatever the issue is, um, that we can start with that. Or I've tried and tried to get pregnant, and I can't, I want a baby. You know, I've intervened with some people who now have kids. Hmm. (laughs) So it's been fascinating. So the first step was with a client, a history, and what do they want? And then the second step is knowledge of the condition. Now, many times people will bring in a condition that I've never heard of. And thank goodness I don't have to sit in a library for five days I can just go online at another time Mm -hmm. and get the information about 
what that condition is about. You you have a career, had a career as a professional biological researcher. You right. understand technical terms and know how to yeah. peruse technical libraries. I, I should think that only a small percentage of healers will have that kind of a background. Not many have that kind of a background, but that's where teaching about basic cell structure, the information in cells, the action of cells, the power in cells, and the communication in cells, Mm -hmm. those basic things and all their fancy names and words and enzymes that do this work, the amazing stuff in our bodies, comes into play. Mm -hmm. And it gives people then enough of a background that they can actually get the information they need that's more general about conditions, but then which cell groups are involved, what's going on. And the piece of that that's amazing is there's a constant change in how research understands. They're just within the last month, an amazing article in the journal Science on a new approach to treating cancer Mm -hmm. and new knowledge of how to deal with cancer cells to help the body be supported in dealing with it itself mm-hmm. so that the cancer cells don't overrun it. Mm. I thought, oh, wow, this makes perfect sense. And here, this will be involved in clinical um, practices, who knows, in the future, but it's being, uh, the research is being reported down. Mm-hmm. So then after those levels of knowledge, it is connection with source and finding out from the client what is the deepest connection for them. Um, well, I don't have one. I just, I like the ocean. Okay. We'll work with a sense of vibration and of what it's like. And imagine yourself walking along the ocean. This is a really peaceful and healing place for you. Or, well, I, I'm very Christian and, and okay. Let's call the blessing of Jesus Christ and the wonderful light that comes through there. I'm, I'm, I'm Muslim. I'm, I'm a Sufi. Then Allah, join us and bless this person. Um, whatever connection anyone has, the basis underneath all of the do this, do that stuff is love and blessing and receiving healing Mm -hmm. through the source of creation, the source of life, and the source of healing. So we make that connection together. um, And then if the person is on the phone, I ask them, we'll hang up. And please go lay down. Imagine you're on a treatment table and just allow the energy to come to you. If they're in the office, then they climb up on my treatment table. And once again, I'm saying, number one, let the table hold you. Simply allow yourself to feel support. Mm -hmm. Feel support. Here it's coming. And step two, thank your body for all the things that he or she is doing for you right now. The millions, trillions of cells that are actively healthy and working, supplying much of what you need. And this small part, whatever percentage it is, that needs help, 
we'll address that. Mm-hmm. And then step three, I say, together we invite the blessing of the mystery of healing. And I ask to be an instrument of healing for you. And then we go into deep silence. So in that silence place, the first step for an advanced healer is, again, knowing about the condition, knowing about cells, and sending to those cell targets with healing energy. There may be specifics about that depending on what's going on. Like we need, if it's a genetic condition, there's a molecular substance that slides along the DNA that was um, described in the, the journal Science again about five years ago. And it turns genes on and turns genes off. So we have a place there. No one knows or has published what moves it. Mm -hmm. But I've seen genetic conditions stop and reverse and no longer Mm -hmm. express themselves by letting that be the target of our healing work. So now you're talking about epigenetics, aren't you? Well, not quite. Uh I guess it's from the outside, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. and epigenetics of whatever influences from the environment are affecting your gene expression. Let's handle those also. And mm-hmm. that's very helpful too. Mm-hmm. You bet. So that focus happens. And then in these latter years, all of a sudden there is a sense of profound guidance to just drop into a state of total silence. It's like the Buddhists call that place the great emptiness, and that's not a bad place. It's kind of dark, but it's not a place of evil or badness or anything else. It's the place from which everything generates. And so when we enter that place, there's a sense of peace, there's a sense of profound um, joy for an emotion or just um, well-being. And then the work, you can feel the work moving. There's often a sense of flow with this work. And my experience has been it's from the top down. Now, early on, I thought oh, it's got to start at the base of the spine, go up the spine, over the top, and run down like kundalini. And for people who come from other countries, particularly from India or Asia, The kundalini pattern is the way the energy moves in their body. But what surprised me is that for most Westerners, it doesn't work. In fact, they often feel sick. They go, ooh, ick, ick, ooh, ick. And so then the energy is from the top of the head running very gently all the way down the body, down the spine, through the bones down the skin in the front, then down the core in the inside of the body through all the organs of the body. And sometimes there'll be a place where it stops. And that's a hint or an indication there's something there that definitely needs additional healing or unblocking. Mm -hmm. So in the healing practice, then, there's layers of how does that flow work? Is it blocked? Therefore, do we need to do clearing? And so then the question for guidance is, Show me where the clearing is important. And many times it's an emotional piece. It can go back to childhood. It could be something recent, something somebody's even forgotten. 
Oh, yeah, I forgot. Oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes it's very physical. It's where cells are injured or where there's a tumor. And so, again, many categories of things to work with. And then once again, allowing those very deep places and any guidance that comes up. And then there's, I experience a, a it's like a kinesthetic pushback. Boom. When it's done, it's like, oh, we're finished. And then if we're on the phone or Skype, I just stop the work. Either we say, okay, we're going to be quiet for a while. Or if they're in the office, it's like, um, please just rest. I'll knock when I come back and I go out uh, for a few minutes and let the person rest by themselves. And at that point, the their body begins to really take in and do the work itself. Because ultimately, what is going on in the healing, there's a change with the energy, just like a change with surgery or with... Um, pharmaceutical medicine or with a acupuncture, but the body of the person receiving it is the one that's taking it, utilizing it, making the changes itself. And then we come back either um, by phone or Skype or in the office, and I always am interested in listening to the person's experience and anything that came up to encourage them in their work. Hmm. And the other thing that I do is, for at least the next five mornings in my early morning meditation, which uh, Seattle time is anywhere from 4.30 to 6 or so, um, I include them in for four or five minutes, just focused on them in those early morning meditations to maintain the flow of healing to them. What I found is if we just do a one-shot thing in the session... It may help. They may get immediate results or in a few days results as their body responds. But if there's a flow of energy that continues, the work is more deep. It is more lasting and um, actually more accessible. And then I ask them to let me know how they're doing. And uh, they have access through the phone or through uh, email to ask for boosts of energy as we continue the journey together. Sometimes I want more sessions, sometimes not. Um, now, the prayer that I've had all along has been, may the people I can actually help be the ones that I connect with. So I know there's something I can do for someone. Even if they say, well, we had this session, I don't see any results. That happens on occasion. Usually there is, I see this, this, and this. Now we need that, that, and that. But there's always something eventually that seems to help. You know, many years ago, I interviewed a, a healer, Sri Chakravarti, a oh. Sufi lady from India. Oh, and cool. uh, she said, and she learned this from her teacher, she said, we can heal anything. She says, but we can't heal anyone. Oh, interesting. She felt that sometimes, you know, individuals have what she described as their own karma. Their own karma, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, of course, as we described in an earlier interview, even in your case, sometimes... Sometimes uh, scuff goes awry. <laughs> yeah, and it's for the best. Ultimately for the best. And you see that later 
And you don't know at the time. I mean, many people uh, find when they get very, very ill, they go into a a delirium or Mm. even a near-death state, and and it becomes a great spiritual awakening. Awakening, that's right. Some of the questions most of us have is, what caused this? I've got to know the cause. If I don't know the cause, then I can't heal it. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. There are times when cause remains a mystery, and yet the body heals. Mm-hmm. On occasion, it's it's good to know. Yeah. But that insistence of, I have to know, is something that blocks us from receiving healing. The other thing that blocks us is, with the, I have to know, is what lesson am I supposed to learn? And there are many lessons in these events, but I'm not sure that we're supposed to learn a lesson, and this has been imposed on us from outside, so we learn a lesson. Mm-hmm. Now, if we learn one, fine. Mm-hmm. But if we're, if we're stuck in blocking receiving healing, because we have to know what lesson we're supposed to learn, then we are stuck. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about the healy. The healy, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But it strikes me that the healer, mm-hmm. like any other human being, mm-hmm. Um, for lack of a better word, I'll say the healer has a soul. Mm-hmm. And the soul, uh, I think of the soul as like an onion with layers, and uh, infinitely many layers. Many layers. <laughs> Big onion. <laughs> it, it seems. And, 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 of course, we're all, as we go deeper within ourselves, we're penetrating those layers. But yes. there are always more layers to penetrate, and they're all deeper for each person. So I would imagine that when you're working with healing trainees, mm-hmm. that a lot of that work to help them become better healers is to help them, you know, go to or through the next layer of the onion. Absolutely. And so part of that is encouraging meditation. And I often hear, well, I tried meditating and I tried a mantra and I tried visualization and all that stuff and I just gave it up because nothing was happening. And so then it's like, well, I did it 20 minutes twice a day. And so there's some interesting variations that any of us can make. It's not required that it's 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a meditation can be three minutes, and it's fabulous. And there are times when it'll go on for an hour, and you go, well, where did that time go? And so I encourage people, as they open up time for meditation, to allow the time to be the time. Mm -hmm. And if all of a sudden, for myself, example, I'm meditating, it's quiet, I'm in that place, there's well-being, there's light. Oh, I forgot. I needed to call so-and-so. I don't just go, oh, shut up. I go write the note or I go do it. Because I've experienced that when that drops in, it's important to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, early on, I was very disciplined about meditating for good long periods of time and then making anything that was interrupting that go away. But as that discipline has given us the real experience of going into those deep places. It's no longer so crucial where we're sitting there going, oh, many more minutes before I'm done with this. Oh, I've got ten more. Oh, yuck. That isn't meditation. That's 
grimace. That's <laughs> not helpful. So meditation can take a variety of time. And for some people, mantra is wonderful. I have Christian prayers I use. I have Hebrew prayers I use. I have a couple songs in my head. I have Hindu, um, Sanskrit chants. And they're all wonderful. And I love to have that little bag of all of those options because I can pick one out. And there are times when it's just take a breath and go into the deep silence and be there. So that connection with Source varies for each of us from time and place to time and place. And then in teaching it, I give a number of different examples so people can see what actually works for them. And it's about what works for us rather than here is one way to do it, do it that way, and if you don't do it that way, you're wrong. And when people get that message, they tend to give up. Mm -hmm. And then they lose that incredible opportunity to be filled with the presence of the Source. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that some people get frustrated when they uh, endeavor to meditate and nothing seems to happen. And yeah. when you said that, I'm thinking to myself, well, good, nothing's supposed to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> if, if you can achieve nothingness in meditation, that's wonderful. You're in a great place. <laughs> and sometimes meditation can occur when you're walking. You know, there are times when I'm walking the dog in the morning and it's very early. There are times when his cold, wet nose comes and pokes under the covers and says, it's 5.30, would you please get up and take me for a walk? I go, okay. And nobody else is out and about and it's quiet and we're just walking step by step. And that at times can be a meditation. Mm -hmm. Other times there's stuff going on you have to pay attention to. So there are many places and uh, sometimes on vacation where people are by the ocean or they can sit by a tree. It's wonderful to snuggle your back up against a beautiful tree, feel the flow of life energy in the, the cells that are right under the bark and be with the tree. Mm-hmm. And that's meditation also mm-hmm. uh, without constructing it. So it's wonderful. One of the problems that I think some healers encounter is being overwhelmed by the needs of so many people. Mm -hmm. And once you've established a reputation as as an authentic healer, you can be bombarded by uh, people who are desperate for yes. healing and, and, you know, the world at large outside of us, there, there's so much illness mm-hmm. and uh, suffering. Yes. And I certainly have been in that place and still find myself in that place from time to time. And so I once again ask, I'm willing, show me how I can best assist. And then kind of that overwhelm begins to drop down and, um, the guidance, again, guidance is so important. Go, here is the sequence that is strongest, or I can send this person perhaps to someone else and they will be helped with that. Or Lynn McTaggart has this new theory of the power of eight, of eight people around sending to a person or a group in the middle. And so sometimes I'll say, okay, um, my 
my partner, associate Helen, and I will meditate together. We invite the four archangels and two ancestors. And then we put a group of people in the middle, and we've gotten incredible responses about how much help they got. Mm -hmm. And then I encourage people also, as they're developing their healing, not to forget angels, archangels, ancestors, guides, animal guides, who are your power animals. Include all the beings that feel just right at the time to be with you so it's Obviously not you doing it yourself. You are an instrument of healing. And part of that is not just letting it run through you, but participating with these other aspects of healing um, presences, mm. deities. Mm -hmm. The other piece which this brings up, and thank you for mentioning it, is when we work for others, there is a sense that we should just turn on all the energy we've got and just give everything to them. Zap them. Zap them. Now, early on, decades ago, when that's kind of what instruction I had and what I believed, I had a couple people actually roll off of my treatment table and throw up <laughs> because the energy was too strong. Mm. Well, that was a lesson. You pay attention to things like that. Mm -hmm. Or I did. And what I learned was, for each person, not only is the frequency important, but the amount is important. And there's a little kinesthetic pushback in my, kind of in my gut, in my center core, when that's just enough energy. Don't push too much farther. And so for each person, I adjust the level of energy and they heal better. There are some people that need such a gentle touch that you almost just need to look at the ceiling and and not be as focused on them as others. And so here's again that listening for guidance, letting the focus be there. It's not distracted by other things. But in that really getting the instructions that are coming to us as our compassion arises and we're sending for other people. Now, you've used the word guidance yes. many times. <laughs> yes, now. I and, have. And I know and we've talked about guidance in our previous interviews. Yes. I certainly want to encourage viewers who haven't seen the previous interviews to, to check them out. But you said something that really stuck with me, which okay. is when you are receiving guidance, I guess when it's really working well for you, you've mm -hmm. learned that you are in a particular state of consciousness mm -hmm. that you defined as high beta and high delta simultaneously, mm -hmm. which is exactly. quite unusual. Yeah, it is. Do you, when you're working with your trainees, do you endeavor to get them into a similar state? Well, we've done some brainwave testing with others, and it's it's dicey. So all of the equipment on the head and trying to run that, yeah. unless you're really comfortable with it, it doesn't help people. But I know what it feels like when, when I'm training somebody, when they've reached that state. Um, there is a sense of being alert, not um, all wound up, but alert and present, as well as 
a, a profound sense of deepness. Now, the other piece is with that delta state, there's usually also a good lot of the alpha, and so um, the person's own feedback is, are you feeling well-being? And when well-being is there, then delta is also there also. Mm-hmm. Now, the other very fast brainwave, faster than beta, is gamma. Mm-hmm. And there's just now new information coming out about the use of gamma. Now, in the brainwave testing that uh, was done with me, has been some time in the past, and we had gamma, but we really didn't know what to do or what it was about much. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to be right now that at least the latest theory and evidence is that's where we receive information where guidance, so to speak, as we're talking about guidance, comes in where images of what's going on in the person or do this or do that or there's another piece of this Mm -hmm. where that intuitive knowing enters our thoughts. Mm -hmm. And there's a quality of that that is not about, I've got to fix this person, I've got to have more information. It's a relaxed state and unexpected many times. And so we're getting all kinds of interesting information from whatever brainwave pattern the neurons receive it from our expanded consciousness, from that greater state. But our bodies actually receive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as a parapsychologist... Yes, sir. One one of the concerns that comes up all the time in parapsychology, if we're testing somebody and they're getting a mental impression with regard to a particular target mm-hmm. in an experiment, mm-hmm. how are they to differentiate between an authentic mm. intuition or clairvoyant telepathic impression versus a, something that's generated by the intellect or pure fantasy? And that's certainly a question I've had along the way. And it's been one where I've said, I'm willing, show me how to not get trapped by um, wishing or demanding, I've got to do something here, I've got to fix this person. Mm-hmm. That's been the one that I've had to deal with in myself. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm here and as an instrument, and will allow this to go where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. I often also, to make sure that I'm not fantasizing something, I get something and I go, okay, wipe it out, let it go. <sighs> Goodbye, thought. Then I get into deep silence again and go back to the person, to the body, or asking. And if exactly the same thing comes up, I'll wipe it out two or three times. Mm-hmm. And if it is a more of a fantasy or I'd really like to see this happen, it won't keep coming back. Mm. But when it comes back in a strong way each time, it's almost um, clearer mm-hmm. after it's been wiped out. Then it's like, okay, this feels like it is important. And I'll tell the client and or if someone is, is training then you can tell the person you're working with. And sometimes those are bits of information that the person needs to go to their medical doctor and have an x-ray or have a scan and have treatment in that arena combined with the energy piece. Sometimes there's a hint that the energy piece will take it, um, and yet 
once again, I really have always been instructed to be a team member with other forms of healing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's uh, uh, Chinese medicine that they need. But we have many resources that will help us. Yeah. You and I did have an interesting conversation earlier comparing your approach to that of another well-known healer, Bill Bankston, who has been on this channel. And uh, when he does healing with people and also experimental healing with uh, mice who have been injected with cancer, Mm -hmm. but particularly with humans, he found that he's very good at healing cancer, but he said it doesn't work if they're already getting chemotherapy or radiation therapy. You have the opposite experience. I do. And I think that's one of those places where the request, may the people I can help be the ones I connect with, that the people Bill connects with The chemo doesn't work for them, or radiation doesn't work for them. His style does. doesn't mean that's 100% across the board, in my experience, Mm -hmm. because I've worked with many people taking medication or on IV. I've been at hospitals with them or given them instruction, and this is what I say. If you've got a pill, you go, I don't want to take that stuff. Then you set up stress in the body, and it isn't going to help you much. So I say, all right, stay with that pill in your hand and bless it till you can relax with it. And then inside say, I welcome you to my body. Do the highest good with minimal side effects. You're going to get chemotherapy. You're hooked up as they're hooking up the IV. And I've been there with people, and I just bless the IV or ask them. They can do it themselves. I bless this substance. I welcome it to my body to do the highest good, minimal side effects. And people have gone through months and months of chemo without losing their hair, without getting nauseated, without getting sick, and their cancers are gone, as well as with radiation. Mm -hmm. And so we're all a little bit different is, I guess, the way I see that. Yeah. Well, you are unique as a healer with a doctoral degree in biophysics and (laughs) and a couple of theological degrees to to boot. Um, Not every healer is going to have such credentials. But Mm -hmm. let me ask you this, since you are interested in working in partnership with other uh, conventional medical practices, how, how have you been accepted by the medical professions? Uh, extremely well sometimes mm-hmm. and not well at other times. Yeah. In fact, uh, that brings to mind a situation with a woman who had a very severe condition where her body quit making red blood cells. So she had to have transfusions once a week for a while. And then, and she was working with me and she was working with a head hematologist in Seattle at the head clinic. This was some time ago, and then seeing me once a week. So what happened was, once a week, transfusions, red blood cells, and then, oh, you're only going to need them every two weeks. Oh, now it's only every three weeks. Oh, now it's once a month. And then eventually she didn't need them anymore. According to the hematologist. According to the hematologist, by checking her blood. And he said, you know, I've never seen this before. 
people don't heal from this, but you seem to, so I don't need to see you anymore. And it scared her because she'd gotten so ill before it was actually diagnosed. And she said, well, but, 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 what, what, what do I do if those symptoms come back? He said, go see that healer person first. And it just cracked <laughs> me up. I went, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And there, uh, there's a man that I worked with who had tried suicide a number of times. He was on a, a number of psychiatric meds. And, uh, you know, he came to me on one of the um, suicide attempts, um, and then the work in the hospital had just wrecked his digestive system. Mm. And he said, you know, what I want is to fix so I can eat and eliminate without all so much trouble. And so we worked on that, and it healed. It healed incredibly. And then he came in. He was in the office uh, uh, for these sessions, and he looked at me and said, okay, fix my brain. And I went, oh, dear. Oh, my goodness. I said, don't drop your medication. You and I and the psychiatrist need to work together. And he did. Mm -hmm. And slowly he was able to go off one medication after another until he no longer needed any. And he went back to a graduate school, started working, and he lives in San Diego now, and I I haven't talked to him Mm -hmm. for a long time, but he was healthy. Well, in these situations, I'm under the impression that when you say you're working with the psychiatrist, you're... uh, your attitude is uh, being one of being of support to the psychiatrist, but are you in communication with, with them? some of them? Yes. Yeah, you know, when it feels appropriate and when they're willing, mm-hmm. we're in communication. So from but time I don't to time, demand it. they yeah. are willing. And yes, they are. Uh-huh. And I've also um, taught some medical students. I was actually invited, and it never came to pass. I was invited to teach medical students at Stanford, and it. It kind of fell apart along the way. This was some years back. But I think there are places now in various medical schools where some of the alternative work is actually uh, helpful in being presented as people are mm-hmm. um, more and more interested in finding value in that. Yeah. Well, I also am under the impression that many healers start out with uh, what's called laying on of hands. Yes. You know, it's, it's about touch, mm-hmm. maybe not massage, but at least it might even be just sort of brushing over yes. a distance from the body, like the aura. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they move from that to what you also do, distant healing, which yeah. is clearly uh, a, a different paradigm. Exactly, and that's the way I started also. Mm-hmm. Maybe touching the shoulder. May I May I touch your shoulder? Yeah. Okay, there's the energy. And then working again, as you said, with the aura, with the energy above the body, and a laying on of hands, exactly. And then slowly, slowly, the guidance was, you know, put your hands in your lap. <laughs> this is a larger sphere than one of touch. And... And obviously, when somebody's in Belgium, um, I don't even imagine my hands with them. Yeah. It is a connection that is broader, deeper, more profound. Yeah. And not even necessarily right on their body, but kind of the essence of the person 
Um, and there, once again, that word expanded consciousness, their soul, whatever you want to call it. Well, I think the important thing here, because I imagine there is going to be at least a handful of viewers who are going like this, distant healing, <laughs> phony baloney, where's the evidence? And I have to say, yeah. uh, there are dozens of published double-blind experiments now mm-hmm. that show distant healing is efficacious. And they, the, this research has been going on for decades. Yes, yes. It definitely has. And it's fascinating that it does work. And our materialist um, experience of this is just what we've got right here um, holds us back from allowing that um, efficacious kind of work to help us in our lives. And so, um, viewers, if you're arms are crossed and you're going, this is baloney, I encourage you to uncross them and give it a chance so you can experience it. Let it be your experience mm-hmm. that teaches you. You know, I had this thought, Joyce. Uh, you and I are both um, in, you might say, in the autumn or even winter of our lives. Oh, yeah. We, we've been around many decades. We're creating this video. I imagine that the day will come when, uh, our bodies will not be around. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least they won't be vital a- yes. anymore. But I suspect that you and I will persist. <laughs> Is that so? <laughs> yeah. Somebody is going to be watching this video at some future time. You you and I will be a, an electronic image and there our voices will persist, but our essence will also persist. That's a wonderful thing to think of, and mm-hmm. that is a very strong possibility, isn't it? I, I have to say, I haven't had a near-death experience like you have had, but I feel certain about it. Maybe it's because I've talked to so many people. <laughs> and you're a meditator. You go yeah. into those deep places, yeah. so you've had your own experience. I mean, you walk it and talk it. You, you've lived it. You've made choices. That's wonderful. Well, one of the things that I do, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep. Mm-hmm. And often when I do that, I think to myself, well, I use this as an opportunity to practice healing. And mm-hmm. I'll begin by uh, imagining that I am uh, sending white light or golden light energy, you know, to myself to receive healing first and then to the household and everybody mm-hmm. who passes through this household and mm-hmm. then to friends and relatives and then to the larger community. And I, often if I uh, am awake for a long enough time, I'll keep expanding out like to the whole planet and then out into the universe. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like I'm trying to send healing to the entire universe. That's a wonderful practice. I do that too. Uh And it starts with oneself and then the closest, and it seems to keep expanding to those larger places. And there have been times when I've awakened and felt, oh, something's wrong. I wonder what it is. And then I find out the next day there's either somebody I know or one time there was a huge landslide in Mexico that killed a lot of people and I found out about it the next day. Mm. Well, I'd been awakened with that. And so the stopping or, well, not necessarily stopping, but the going forward by sending wherever 
energy of blessing and healing is needed, may I be an instrument and send to that, Mm -hmm. is very important and certainly apparently can help. Amazing. It it seems to help me at least. It helps us, doesn't it? Yeah, the middle of the night awakening. I mean, I have to say because well, you and I both understand the scientific method. For all I know, in a situation like that, it's pure fantasy. Could be. Uh, fantasies exist. I'm, I'm aware of that, but yes. I also am aware that oftentimes you reach through the imagination to a deeper level. I call it the imaginal rather than the imaginary. And and that's where our thoughts really do have an impact in the world. They do. And I've had enough occasions where someone has called me or written me one or two days after and said, I was having a horrible time. And at such and such a time, it just stopped and I felt better and everything released. And it was exactly the time when I'd gotten the hint, the pulse, the here, send energy to this person. This was not a hundred percent, but that's happened enough times mm-hmm. that it's like, okay, even if it isn't my imagination, if one out of ten times, I can help somebody by responding to this. Mm-hmm. That's worth it. Yeah. And hopefully it's more than that. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no way to really completely scientifically prove that. But I have had those wonderful kinds of feedbacks, so I trust it. Well, Dr. Joyce Hawks, once <laughs> again, this is a fascinating discussion. I know it's hard to really appreciate when you work with some of your students and trainees for many years that, you know, what we can accomplish in a a half hour discussion like this. But I I feel like we've really covered quite a lot of ground here. Yay. I hope so. And hope people can use it, actually use it. Yes. Thank you so much for being with me. You're so welcome. And thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And thank you for being with us. Yes. Thank you.